Hi, Doss here, the lead editor on the A16Z growth team with a quick bit of context. The conversation that follows is part of a series we recorded last month at our AI Revolution event. This series features some of the most impactful builders in the field of AI, from those who are scaling up big foundation models to those developing products that could transform entire industries. In the conversations, they discuss and debate where we are, where we're going, and the big open questions in AI. For the full series, subscribe to A16Z Live or visit a16z.com slash AI Revolution. Before we jump into the conversation, please note that the content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. And now, let's get into it. Going to generative AI, one of the things that's been interesting for us as a VC is we see all kinds of companies, some with amazing traction, but every company that has traction is in a category like selling to developers or selling to consumers or maybe selling to like small kinds of you know law firms or these kinds of things, but we haven't seen anybody with any traction in the enterprise. Why is it so hard for enterprises to adopt generative AI? Yeah, so look, enterprises move slow. Yeah. That's one in general, right? Yes which is the beauty, which means if you crack the code and you get in, it's harder for them to throw you out. So you're gonna have an awesome business. If you do crack the code and you're in, you know, it's more robust. You're not gonna lose it overnight. So that's one, they just move slower. Second, they're super freaked out about their data, privacy, security of their data. But then in general also, I just realized, everybody's been talking about data for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I just realized how valuable my data actually is. <laughs> so actually, maybe I'm actually, I'm sitting on a trove, like treasure trove, and I'm gonna be super successful. So I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be very careful with this. Like now I finally realize how re valuable this data set I have is. So I definitely don't wanna give it to you or you yeah. or you. And should be careful about this. And then there's all these reports about it leaking, you know, data leakage, like, oh, right. you know, suddenly the LLM is spitting out your code or your source. So they're freaked out about that as well. Right. All of these things are slowing it down and they're kind of thinking through it. That's like just one set of challenges that enterprises have. Yeah. Second challenges enterprises have is that, hey, for a lot of the use cases, we need the data to be accurate. We need to be exact. So there's a lot of use cases. Are where they right about that? Do they really need it to be accurate? I think they, uh, you know, I think it depends on the use case. Mm -hmm. They're just being cautious and they're being slow as they are in the big enterprise. And then there's the last aspect, which people don't talk about, which is there's like a food fight internally at the large enterprise, which ah, is who's fighting? I own generative AI. Uh, not Ben. And right. then you go around and say, hey, I own generative AI. And it's like, no, 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 my team is building generative. So, so there's this you know, food fight internally of who owns it. And then they slow each other down. So say, hey, don't trust Ben, because he's not handling data the right way, but I'm building my Gen AI, and I'm gonna be the company's, and it's unclear, is it IT that owns Gen AI? Is it the product line, is it the business line? So there's like huge politics going on inside the large enterprise. Uh, they wanna do it, but there's all these hurdles in the way. Yeah. Uh, and the prize is huge. Whoever can crack the code on that is gonna, you know, it's gonna create an amazing company. Are the enterprises right about not wanting to give their data to OpenAI or Anthropic or BART or whoever, like is that a correct fear or are they being silly and they could get so much value by putting their data in a big model? They can, but I think also a lot of the leaders at the, you know, by the way, I get to talk these days to the CEOs of these big companies who 
Previously, we're not interested in what I'm doing. Yeah. I would be talking to the CIO, but now suddenly they want to talk. They're like, hey, I want this generative AI. I want to talk strategy, tra strategy yeah. of my company. Let's talk. And we have this data set. It's super valuable. Like, you know, we've got to do something with it. And right. generative AI seems interesting. What do you want to do with it? And one of the things that's really interesting that's happened in the sort of brains of the CEOs and the boards is that they realize, maybe I can beat my competition. Maybe this is the kryptonite that will help me kill my enemy. I have the data with generative AI. I can actually go ahead and do that. Uh, so then they're thinking, well, but then I have to build it myself. Yeah. I have to own that, right? right? right I have right. to own the IP of that. I can't just give away that IP to Anthropic, OpenAI, anyone. Like, it has to be completely proprietary. I want to own that. I want to do that myself. Yeah. By the way, I have a whole bunch of people here that are lined out outside of my office in different departments that are saying they actually will do it and they can do it. Right. Uh, so we're trying to figure out which of them I should give it to. So this is what's happening internally right now. Um, Interesting. And from a strategy standpoint, when you think about it, Let's say you had a big data set, be it like a, a healthcare data set or a, you know, some kind of security data set or, or whatever it was, or Nielsen's data set. Would you, can they be, can they build a better model themselves for that with their data? Or if they took their data and put it in one of the large models, would that always beat what they're doing? Yeah, so this is why we did the acquisition of Mosaic. Yes. You can, it's hard, it requires a lot of GPUs, and the Mosaic guys just figure out how to do that at scale mm -hmm. for others. You wanna build your own LLM from scratch? Come to me, I know all the sort of, you know, landmines and so on, I, it just will work, trust me. Yeah. And so they can do it, and yeah, they've done it for large customers, they can do it, still it's not for the faint of heart, still requires a lot of GPUs, costs a lot of money, and it depends on your data sets and your use cases. But they're having a lot of success doing it for you know, really large enterprises. They'll train it from scratch for them, and it just works. And the result that, that they get with Mosaic, so I, I'm yeah. doing it. So th the good news is it's all mine. Nobody yeah. can touch it. It's yeah. my data. Yeah. Screw off, competitor. Um, but like, is the bigger model like such a bigger brain anyway that I could get a better answer if I put that same data in the big model? Or is a kind of mosaic-tuned, enterprise-specific, data-set-specific model going to perform better? Like, how do you think about that? For specific use cases, yeah. you don't need the big one. First of all, you can build the big one with Mosaic and with Databricks. Yeah. It's just how much money do you have? We're happy to train you a 100 billion parameter model if you want. But A, it's going to cost more to use it. Even if you have the, all the money to train it, yeah. it's going to cost you a lot to use it. So when you're using it and you're doing inference, as it's called, it's gonna cost you more. And how do you think about the diminishing returns on um, kind of like a data set against like how many parameters, you know, versus how much data do you have? Does like a bigger model just start to be diminishing returns both in terms of latency, expense, everything? Yeah, I mean, there's a scaling law. You need to scale. If you're scaling the yeah. parameters up, you kind of have to scale the data with it. Right. You know, so you just have to do that. So if you don't have that, then, you know, just scaling it, it's not gonna, you're not going to get the bang for the buck. Right. You still get improvement if you increase the parameters or if you increase just the data in any one of these dimensions. Uh, but, but, but you're going to pay. You're going to pay. It becomes inefficient. It yeah, it's yeah. no longer Pareto optimal, so to say. But look, what I'm saying is this. For enterprises that have specific use cases, which they all have, when they come to us, mm -hmm. they don't say, hey, I would love to have an LLM that could like, kind of answer anything under the sun. You know? <laughs> They're saying, hey, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to classify this particular uh, you know, uh, defect in the manufacturing process from yeah. these pictures really well. 
and there the accuracy matters. Like every ounce of accuracy that you can give me matters, and there you're better off if you have a good data set to train. You can train a smaller model, the latency will be faster to use it later, mm -hmm. and it will be cheaper to use it later, and yes, you can have absolutely uh, accuracy that beats the really large model. Mm. But that very model that you built yeah. can't also entertain you on the weekend right. and answer a physics question and help your kids do their homework. Why do you think it's important for you, Databricks, to build the very large model? Yeah, look, so the bigger models, if you follow the scaling laws, are more intelligent, assuming you paid, if, if you're okay with paying the price, mm -hmm. and you're okay with, you know, you have the GPUs, and if you can crack the code on how to fine tune the bigger model, which is kind of the holy grail right now that everybody's looking at in the research community and in the field and the companies and all that. And when you say fine tune, kind of get more specific. Yeah, so take an existing really awesome model, that foundation model that exists, and just modify it a little bit to be able to become really good at some other task. Mm -hmm. And there are many different techniques to use to do that, uh, but right now nobody has really cracked the code on how you can do that without modifying the whole model itself, right, right. which is pretty costly, especially when you want to serve it, when you want to use it later. Right, because you, know, you, you have, have to like, go through all the Yeah, if you have thousand, notes. if you made a thousand versions of it, that's yeah. good at thousand different things. If you have to load all of each of those thousand into the GPUs and you know, serve them, it becomes very expensive. The big, I would say, um, holy grail right now that everybody's looking for, is there, are there techniques where you can just do small modifications, Yeah where you can get really good results and you can just stack on a little bit of additional, you and know. It's just that part of the brain. To exactly, just add this thing. And there are lots of techniques. There's like prefix tuning, there's LoRa, QLoRa, so on and so forth. Uh, jury's out, none of them really are slam dunk. It's like right. awesome, we found right. it, but someone will. Once you have that, then it seems in the future, in a few years, the ideal would be really big foundation model that's pretty smart. And then you can like sort of stack on these kind of additional tuned sort of mm. brains that are really good at this specific classification task for manufacturing errors and this other, you know, translation task. And they'll be compute efficient and energy efficient for just dealing with that task at that point. Exactly, and then you could also, you just, you can load up your GPUs with that one intelligent brain, that one yeah. giant model, and then you could specialize it. Yeah. But to be clear, no one's really done this yet. That's what I think a lot of people are hoping to do, uh, you know, and it yeah. might not be easy to do that. In right. the meanwhile, we're having lots and lots of customers who want to have specialized models that are cheaper, smaller, and that have really high accuracy and performance on that task. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can just say it, like at Databricks, so we bought Mosaic. Mm -hmm. I did not unleash our sales force and go to market of 3,000 people to sell the thing that we bought mm -hmm. because we just can't satisfy the demand. Like there's not enough GPUs. So you won't even let all your guys sell it? No, I'm not even letting all the customers buy this thing. Because we don't have the GPUs and we don't have, if we unleash them, every company wants to do this. Everyone wants to, okay, okay, I have a thousand things I want to build. Can you help me do that? In this context, sort of, how do you, how much do you think these use cases will fragment in, in that, um, so you talked about, okay, I want it to be good at doing my kids' homework. I want it to be my girlfriend. So how much do you think the use cases the very specific use cases will fragment. And kind of within that, like one of the things that we're finding is getting the model to do what you want is kind of where the data advantage is from the users in that if I want it to draw me a certain kind of picture, that's a lot of conversations to do that. And so whoever is drawing those kinds of pictures will be good at that. But then 
there may be another model that wants to draw memes, yep. but that thing that's drawing the pretty pictures can't draw the memes because that involves words and all this other stuff that it hasn't, it just hasn't learned to get that out of the humans and map it into its model. Um, so how much do you think we're gonna get tons of specialization versus no, 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 once the brain gets big enough and we do these fine tunings, that's gonna be it. It'll be like AWS, GCP, you know, Azure. I think the answer is closer to the latter. There's gonna have lots of specialization. Mm -hmm. But having said that, it's a little bit of, it's not a dichotomy in the sense that maybe they're all using like some base models that are underneath common to many of them. Right. You're not right. starting from scratch every time. But you're tuning both. it up but a certain I, way. Yeah, look, I, I think in some sense the industry, like right now there's, people are looking at the wrong thing. Right now it's a little bit like 2000. Mm -hmm. and the internet is about to take over everything and everybody's super excited. And there's one company called Cisco, they build these routers. Yeah. Obviously that's like the biggest thing. And the most important thing is whoever can build the best routers is gonna dominate all of internet forever. Yeah. Right, it's like that's the thing. The future of mankind is gonna be determined by who builds the best routers. And right now this company Cisco is the best one by far. It's obvious what I'm saying. Cisco in 2000, I think, was worth one, you know, half a trillion dollars yeah. at its peak, and people were talking about it's going to be a trillion dollar company. It was worth more than Microsoft. So uh, I think it's a little bit like right now, like that. Who has the largest LLM? Mm -hmm. Obviously, whoever can build the largest one that can train it the most, obviously, will own all of AI and all of future of humanity. But just like the internet, someone will show up later and think about Uber rides and cab driving, and someone yeah. else showed up and thought about, hey, I want to check out my friends on, you know, on the Facebook and so on. Mm -hmm. And those end up being huge businesses. So there's these applications, which many of them are obvious. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Mark talked about it in his, you know, AI will save the world. You know, the right. lawyer, uh, you know, the teacher. They're like, there's lots of use cases. Everybody knows. Uh, probably there's going to be a lot of value in those. Yeah. And no, it's not just going to be one model that OpenAI or Databricks or Anthropic or someone builds. Mm -hmm. And that model will dominate all these use cases. No, it's the, a lot of things will need to go into building the doctor that you trust that will be able to tell you, you know, how to cure you and your loved ones. So I think that those, those are the companies that we will build in the future. And I think there's gonna be a lot of value in those, obviously. Um, and yeah, there's a place for the Cisco router still, for the LLM yeah. uh, and so on. And Cisco still is a pretty valuable company. Yeah. It's not dead. Uh, but that's, I think that's, that's this over-focus right now. Yeah, interesting. So then how do you think about um, open source? Because a lot of the large model providers are literally going in and saying, stop open source now, you've got to outlaw it. So how do you think about that? Why are they saying that? Do they have a legitimate gripe? Um, and then, you know, coming from Databricks perspective, how are, you, how are you all thinking about open source, both with respect to Mosaic and then with the other, you know, things like Llama? If the original Llama was never released, what would the state of the world and our view of AI be right now. We would be way further behind, mm -hmm. right? And A, it was a big model uh, you know, by what, what existed in open source, and uh, it was open sourced. And both of those things completely changed everything that's happening in AI right now. Size kind of mattered, and the fact that it was open source also kind of mattered. This is gonna continue, it doesn't stop there, it's gonna continue. It's also really hard to block any of this, because like, if you just check out the source code for Llama, it's like a couple pages. Yeah, but you have to have the weights too. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the weights leaked and people will <laughs> yeah. leak the weights and they will get out and people will keep turning them. And there's ways to also, you know, distillation techniques where you can take the weights from a, you can just take the output of a model and train smaller ones and train other ones and so on. So people are gonna continue pushing the boundary of this. So I think open source will continue to do better and better and better. 
uh, and I think more and more techniques, because there's scarcity, they don't have GPUs, they'll come up with techniques in which they can do things more efficiently, like the fast mm -hmm. transformer and so on. Uh, at the same time, I also think that anyone that trains a really gigantic model that's really, really good, typically will not have the incentive to release it. So it's the usual thing we see that open source kind of lags the proprietary ones, and the proprietary thing is way ahead, and it's way better. And in some rare cases, like Linux and so on, it bypasses, you know, and in, in that case, that would be game changing. And will but, that happen? Uh, it's hard to predict that. Right now, it just seems that you need a lot of GPUs to do this. But how about when GPUs become abundant? Yeah. GPUs That's going to happen. I mean, almost GPUs, certainly. GPUs become abundant or certain tweaks to the transformer that lets you train at higher learning rate and, you know, have less issues with it. So, like, you know, this. Right, because they're super yeah. inefficient now. Like, yeah. they couldn't be more inefficient. Yes. And so yeah. Then they will be released. Some engineering. They will be released. And the universities are just chomping at the bit, right? Because what has happened right now is that the universities kind of feel a little bit that. They're aced out. They're not really even in the game anymore. What? Right? Look, this was my game. GPUs. I was yeah. playing it. I was inventing yeah. it. And now you, you threw me out. Yeah. And I can't even participate because I don't have GPUs. I don't have the funding. Yeah. The universities are having a huge sort of crisis internally with yeah. the research. It's like, Plus, you hired all my guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, so no, their guys are leaving and their gals are yeah. leaving because yeah. they want to work close where they can train the models and do this kind of stuff and where the data is. And at the universities, there's none of this. So then what are the universities doing? They're, of course, looking at, okay, how could we crack the code on this? Mm. How could we make it much easier, cheaper, and how can we release it? So there's going to be innovation there. So I think this, this sort of uh, race will continue between open source and proprietary. And eventually, open source kind of catches up. So you know, I think it's going to be diminishing returns. I think we're going to hit walls with scaling laws, and you just move down those. <laughs> yeah. you, go, you, know, you go to the right on the x-axis. And you know, and you, you move the Pareto curve to the right, and eventually you get AGI. Yeah. And it's just happening. It's guaranteed. You know, it's going to happen. Uh, I think we're going to hit diminishing returns on walls. That kind of. So you think you you think we'll get stuck before we get to AGI yeah. in a fundamental? We'll need an actual breakthrough as yeah. opposed to just more size. That, and I also think that almost in all the use cases where you seriously try to use this, like for medicine or for like anything where you really for lawyers and so on it quickly becomes clear that you need, you need a human in the loop. Mm -hmm. You need to augment it with a human in the loop. There's no way you can just let this thing loose right now. It's stupid. It does mistakes and so on. And maybe that can get better and better and better. But it does better on the medical exams than like doctors do. This is a funny thing. I, I kind of think all the benchmarks are bullshit. And yeah. so all these, <laughs> so all the LLM benchmarks, here's how it works. Yeah. Imagine in all our universities, we said, we're going to give you the exam the night before. Okay, and you can look yeah. at the answers. And then the next day, we're going to bring you in and you answer them. And then we'll score, you know, how you did. Yeah. Suddenly, everybody would like be acing their exams too, right? Yeah. Like, for instance, MMLU mm -hmm. is what a lot of people, uh, you know, benchmark these models on. Yeah. MMLU is just a multi-choice question that's on the web. Ask a question, here's is the answer A, B, C, D, and then it says what the right answer is. Yeah. And it's on the web. You can deliberately train on it and create an LLM that crushes it on that. <laughs> all right, okay. All right. Or you can inadvertently, by mistake, in the pile or whatever you used to train your model, happen to see some of those questions that happen to be elsewhere. So the benchmarks are a little bit BS. Uh, well, they're, they're benchmarks for taking the test, but presumably the test correlates with being able to make a medical diagnosis, a decision. A yeah, but they memorized all these. You know, they the memorize. So, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so I'll have. But, but, but they, 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 there's not, um, there's no transfer learning from the memorizing the exam to actually diagnosing. So no one really knows the answer to this. Everybody's playing yeah. the benchmarking game this way right mm -hmm. now. 
uh, yeah, I would love it if, you know, a whole bunch of researchers. So it's that like do... the old fake database benchmarks when it's like, look how fast our database is, but it's only good at the actual benchmark. <laughs> yeah, I would love it if there was like a bunch of doctors that get together and come up with a benchmark that's super secretive and they don't show it to you and you yeah. give their model, your model to them and they'll run their questions on that and then they'll come back and tell you how you scored. But that's not how it works right now. So then let me go to the question that you dodged, which is, okay, what are the ethics of the large models um, versus open source, um, or, or just in general, like what is the responsibility? How big is the threat? Um, is open source an ethical threat? Yeah, look, I don't have all the answers. There's like different categories. There's like the jobs are gonna go away kind of category. We've been doing that for 300 years. Mm -hmm. And the nations that are at the, doing yeah. the best, highest right, GDP, right. they're the ones that automated the most. And the ones that weren't able and to. And they have the most jobs and the highest. So that's happening anyway. Yeah. There are ways to deal with that problem. Yeah. Uh, and the ways to deal with it is not to just stop all progress. That's stupid. Uh, you know, the nations that win are the ones that are doing well on automation, not just AI. In general, efficiency, improvements, mm -hmm. right? It's like uh, economics is about efficiency. Uh, so anyway, so that's like that category. Then there's like oh, bad things that humans can do deliberately because they're malicious, which is the one I think Mark was the most worried about. But I would just say, look, ever since like the invention of the hammer, yeah. we started misusing technology that, you know, in a bad way, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so that's gonna <laughs> When you have a hammer, your head looks like a nail. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's, that's happening all the time with every technological improvement, especially the internet. So the really big question that I think kind of like Mark a little bit maybe dodged in his essay, which is, are we gonna get this super AGI that decides to destroy us? And I don't well, the decide part is the part where I get a little lost, right? Because like free will is not something we're on the path for. Yeah. For machines. Yeah. Like <clears throat> a machine doing many, many, many computations. Yeah. Um, which you know we never had machines do this many computations in the history of humanity. Like that is amazing, but it's very different than like no LLM has ever decided to do anything. Yeah. Like that's not what they do. Um, and so it does seem like, <laughs> yeah. okay, now they've got free will. What do we But do? maybe they don't have free will. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe you're just in my way and I need to kill you all, right? It's like, and that's just what I'm gonna do unemotionally without any, I don't even reason, I don't have consciousness or anything. It's just, I'm just doing yeah, stuff. The, the paperclip, probably, yeah. Yeah, kind yeah. of. So I, I do think like those hypotheticals, if you had yeah. something, this is a big if. Yeah. If you have that thing that has that level of intelligence and can control things and so on, then I do think that's a big risk. I just don't think that's gonna happen very soon. Here's why. Uh, there's several things that people are kind of not looking at. So I don't agree with like Mark when he says, oh, it's just like a toaster. It's just like your toaster will not decide to kill you. Nor I don't believe that, that's not true. If this, this thing is pretty smart, yeah. it has reasoning capability, if you connect it to robots and give it a bunch of like, it can start doing <laughs> and, and let it run free with no safety. Run, run free and say, go do it. Okay. Then it can do a lot of damage. The reason I'm not too worried about the scenario is the following. One is it's very costly yeah. and very expensive and hard to get your hands on, you know, GPUs and have the money to train a new model. If that comes down and that takes like 10 minutes to train a new model, that's as good as the largest, best models that we have, mm -hmm. then we're kind of fucked. Because <laughs> okay? then 
some asshole will say, AutoGPT, connect it, write a bunch of versions of yourself, just try it out in parallel, do a million of these in parallel, yeah. and then figure out if it gets smarter and smarter and smarter and just do this. They'll have a bug, the and, one, a good, and then before good. you know it, after maybe, let's call it 12 months, yeah. we find a slightly better version of the transformer that is a little bit more efficient. Now that 10 minutes goes to like two minutes, and then you're like on this race, and then eventually you'll get into this loop where it can create itself. But right now, it's extremely expensive and really hard to train a new large giant model, yeah. much harder than actually just asking questions from it, unlike the human brain, where I can memorize new things and update right. my brain quickly, and I can also so just read things from my memory and tell you things. Right now, it's huge asymmetry. Secondly, we really haven't cracked the code on machines reproducing themselves biologically, kind of like humans do. Like, so reproduction is not in the, yeah. in the game yet. Right. So once you have reproduction, and you know the building of new ones automatically. Uh, once you crack the code on that loop, yes, then I think we're fucked. But we're very far away from that. Like, <laughs> like nobody's really doing that, right? You know, just moving the scaling laws and getting these things to be better and better at reasoning yeah. doesn't solve the problems that I mentioned. Right. Uh, so that's, I think, what's kind of uh, saving us right now. Uh, you know, that's that, that's my belief. All right. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> well, to conclude, I'd like to thank Ali for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this conversation from our AI Revolution series. For more, subscribe to A16Z Live or visit a16z.com slash AI Revolution.